0: This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Good morning, church family. Welcome to Woodland Hills. We're glad you're here. Everyone outside, welcome all of those. Church at Home family, we welcome you to our gathering today. I must start with an apology from two weeks ago, uh, I, before every service, or between the first and the second service for sure, I grab a cup of coffee back there, raise your coffee up, let me just see all the coffees in the house so we can do some budgeting, let's just see here real quickly. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I, I usually grab it back there, I, I walk down the side, I try to get in here before the first song and I sit right there. And so, I set the coffee down and it's in that one slot and I... Come up for the first service. Then the second service, and I usually leave it there, I grab a cup, I come down, I remove that cup, put it up behind this thing, set my new cup down. So last, two weeks ago, I walk down, gentleman sitting in that seat I've never met before in my life, I give that friendly welcome to Woodland Hills nod, I take his cup of coffee out of the (laughs) cup holder, I hide it behind this thing right here, put my coffee in the cup holder, and the whole time this is all the guy's doing. And he keeps singing. When I put my coffee in, I give him the nod. whole time thinking it's my cup of coffee. Okay. Stephanie does child dedication. I sit back down. Give him a third nod. Like, man, glad you're here. As we sit down, he looks at me and he goes, would it be okay for me to get my coffee back now? Most embarrassing moment in the life of my church. We are... I love my church family and I would never... Never assume that is my, look it, and your coffee was sitting there when I walked up, wasn't it? And I didn't touch it this time. I sat there, I held it because I didn't have a place. And so I just want to remind everybody, the cup holder doesn't belong to you. And all Woodland Hills people said, Amen. just like your seat don't belong to you. And all Woodland Hills people said, Amen. See, you don't get as many on that. You got know, have my cup holder, but I want my seat. I need my seat. So anyway, and he, so there's our second service and that guy hasn't been back. Yeah, so hopefully he'll be here at the 11:30. And by the way, Rhonda, was he was he wasn't from Treasure Lakes, was he? Okay, good, because I would like I would like to pay for his week uh, at the campground. <laughs> I will pay you five dollars a night for his space out there at Treasure Lakes. So, ah, oh, okay. So we, we're a welcoming church. We think a lot about our guests, and we would never steal your cup of coffee to make room for it. And, that, and if someone has done that to you, they need the Lord, and that's why they're here too. They. We want them to get saved, and all God's people said, amen. So we take an offering at our church, and uh, there's, a, there's several ways you can give And We encourage generosity, we say thank you for how well you've been giving. You can give in offering boxes in the back, the Church Center app, which we encourage you to go on there, not just for giving, but for all that's going on, all that you can sign up for. Hit the Give Online Now button at woodhills.org, you can text any amount to 84321, and so We're doing something a little bit different leading up to Easter. Instead of Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday, you know you got Palm Sunday last Sunday as we kicked off this series. Adam kicked us off with the triumphal entry. And we're going to take a day uh, from the Passion Week each Sunday leading up to Easter. And so today it's Sunday, but we're talking about a Monday. We're talking about the clearing of the temple. And now there are some people in here right now that are like, yes, I love this story. Man, I love it drain the swamp we're gonna fix some things around here and we're gonna start with you uh, this morning because we need to make some observations about what this story is not before we even get to the reason Jesus cleared the temple how many of you don't raise your hand on this how many of you know an angry person just mad all the time about everything I said don't raise your hand don't raise your hand I mean, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a new issue. So this last week, it was gas prices. And they're talking, everything's just just fired up about everything. Uh, Maybe it's their spouse one day, then the next day it's their boss. So it doesn't matter. People change, issues change, but they're always mad. And some of you are going, that's my Uncle Frank. Today, we're not talking about your grumpy uncle. That's not the point of this message. We're not directing our thoughts toward him, although he needs this message. We're directing our thoughts and we're learning this great lesson from a story that is relatively light on words, but heavy in meaning. It's covered in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's going to help those of us, and I've learned so much about myself during this week and some practical application out of this story. It's for those of us who are passionate about things that are affecting our faith. When someone comes against our faith... When an issue in culture or the world is challenging our worldview, and we just we feel it welling up inside, and we are ready to throw tables, throw things over, throw things at people, right? That's who we're coming. And we're coming after every Republican in the House today, okay? So... Please hear me on this, I, because I, I have my own passions, my passion in marriage. I have a passion for the local church. Anybody comes against the local church, my, man, I feel it rising up in me. Anybody comes against marriage, I feel, I'm, I'm spend every day of my life fighting for marriage. I mean, so I get the passion, but what do we do with that? We're going to look at how Jesus cleared the temple, and then we're going to look at Why? And it's, it's very important to... The first observation we need to make is this story in light of all of the Gospels. Imagine you went to see the Jesus play at Sight and Sound, which if you haven't, I highly encourage you to go and see Jesus. Phenomenal job of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But if you were to go to that show, you're not a believer. And for two and a half hours, they show you a scene of Jesus whipping people, throwing things... Yelling at people you'd be like this guy's got a real temper like he's got something going on If a believer who studied the bible for a while Goes and sees a show like that for two and a half hours this guy yelling and screaming throwing things you'd be like, okay They didn't get the whole picture of the gospels Because this is an exceptional scene in the life of and ministry of jesus not normative And some of us as believers have turned this into a normative scene to justify our hair-trigger tempers. And to go off on MC, I do that. Just Several people in the first service like, Oh my God, what is going on? But some of us want to point to this story as this is the reason why I can speak my mind anytime I want. And if you're wrong or coming against my faith or my worldview, I will tear you shred to shred because we have a story. In the Bible, let's start in Matthew. And we're going to go through all four Gospels because each one gives us a little bit different perspective and a little detail that's very important for us to understand the why and the how of the clearing of the temple. And the reason I'm going to do this a lot, sorry, Janelle, is because I want you to feel I don't, we're not going to read this text monotone. I'm going to do a little Donier in this message, okay? So we'll start in Matthew. And again, relatively light on words or a short account Okay, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Hold this because this is very important. We're going to talk about it in a little bit as we come to the end of the message. But doves, that was the sacrifice that those who were impoverished could afford. And we're going to see the heart of Jesus for the marginalized in our churches today. Verse 13, it is written... He said to them, and now he's going to quote Isaiah 56, 7. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all quote Isaiah 56 and 7, or have Jesus quoting Isaiah 56, 7. But Mark's going to add just a little bit more detail that is so important for us to understand why Jesus is clearing the temple. And he quotes, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. John gives us more detail Behind the clearing of the temple, we read in John 2, 14 through 16, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Didn't even find one. It's like, this is, this is the deal. We are gonna, I'm gonna make this thing. Makes the whip, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. So the pictures you've seen in Christian bookstores or online are inaccurate. They're not as messy as what we're reading right here. If, if we got any cattle ranchers in here? If we have any farmers in here? Let me just see the hands of the farmers. If I'm driving out sheep and cattle, that's a mess. And the doves, the feathers are flying. You can call this a chaotic scene. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You, great uh, part of the production at Jesus at Sight and Sound. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a a market. And Jesus is going to get very serious about worship. And and so here's here's the very first thing we need to gather from this specific story. And I I read a lot this week and my favorite the one that made me laugh out loud a little bit was Beth Moore. And I quote Beth Moore because there's ladies in here that go, oh, what would Beth Moore say? I got to know what Beth Moore says. Here's what she says about the scene. Don't think for a moment Jesus can't make a mess of things. Does that sound like someone from southern Texas right there? Uh, Sometimes the only way to sufficiently clean house is to turn it upside down. And that's women right now going, that's right. Spring cleaning is here. That's my wife. My wife is passionate about turning a house upside down. My Some of my wife's favorite words, she has two love languages, acts of service and quality time. You've heard me say this, that means I serve her for long periods of time. And she has a love language in between those two called deep cleaning. Oh, does she love deep cleaning? We don't, I want to reorganize the garage. She wants every single item in the garage brought out into the driveway. We're going to sweep, we're going to scrub, and we're going to throw half of what I just took into the driveway away. We're going to clean house. Can I, can I just encourage us where this message is going today and what Jesus has for us today is it is good for you and I to clean out the clutter in our hearts, for us to clean out the clutter in the church that keeps people from gathering to meet the Lord. That is what we're, that's where we're going today with this. But, but I, we fight against, in, in our culture, in Branson, in the church, what we call folk theology. And folk theology is where we, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we learn what the Bible teaches, but then things are said or done over here, maybe in tradition, and we like to add that in, and sometimes we have to separate the truth. We want to keep Scripture in the driver's seat. We don't want to put tradition in the driver's seat, but I fear today that a lot of us are getting our theology from memes. We're, we, we see something that's funny or that's cute or that's strong and passionate, and we're like, uh-huh, that's now what I believe. But, but let's be very careful that we're clear what's going on online. Like this guy right here on a flight over spring break. Zoom out from this picture and you see what's really going on. <laughs> That's someone on a budget but wants to impress you that they did something fun over spring break. I grew up in Illinois, the land of Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln said this, Don't believe everything you read on the Internet. (laughs) Just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. Do you know believers that are, are falling for this stuff each and every day? And with the clearing of the temple, how many times? This is like the favorite meme of clearing the temple. If anyone ever asked you, What would Jesus do? remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. People read that and that's like, all right, that's what I, I, get, to, I get to take people out today. Sorry, he's walking down the aisle as I'm saying that. was like, man, settle down. I just went for a bottle of water. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Brett Hammond said it this way and about this meme specifically. This one seems to be a, a favorite for those who long to excuse their tempers and turn their bad attitudes into something holy. They see Jesus' actions in this story as giving them permission to fly off the handle and offer someone a beatdown. You know, just like Jesus. Here's, here's where we start with understanding this story today. Jesus didn't clear the temple so you and I could point to it as justification for our hair trigger tempers. That's not the point of this story at all. That's not the point of this Monday in Passion Week at all. Jesus, be very clear, is not a tantrum here. This is a very thoughtful action. It's not even an immediate response to what he saw going on. When you get to Mark, Mark gives us a very important detail, a couple of very important details. We start in Mark 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple court. So after we looked at last week, the triumphal entry, Jesus goes into the temple courts, but that's not when this is taking place. Mark tells us, He looked around at everything. He was taking in the scene in the court of the Gentiles. He was taking it all in. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus sees what's happening. He puts some space and time between the situation and what he's going to do about it. What a lesson for us followers of Christ who are passionate about what we believe. We need to start putting a little space and time between what someone says to us and what we do about it. We need to take a moment. Quit giving your kids a timeout. Give yourself a timeout. Spend time with the Lord. Have a thoughtful response to things rather than this hair trigger. I'm just going to take you down. I'm going to give you a beat down because that's exactly what Jesus would do. <laughs> on reaching Jerusalem. So now we're on Monday. Verse 15. Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. One of the lessons I take from this, and it's important for me to take it, especially after the week we've had, and I know many of you were worked up over the young lady who took second place in the 500 meters in the NCAA tournament as one who fights for marriage, as one who's passionate about what the Bible teaches about marriage and sex and sexuality and gender. I, I, I can get passionate about that. And I can respond to that. I haven't said really any. I, I put something online last night, but I, I, I just know immediately is not good for me. I, and I don't think it was an accident when that story came out and then the story from Florida came out that um, they want, to want you know, small children to start figuring out their identity at three, four, and five. And, and I know my first thought is, no, 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 this is why God gives children parents, right? And look, at even the way that came out was like, what, what can I throw? I need to throw, I get there. But how about this? The next time someone challenges your faith or mocks what you believe, what if you walked away and waited a bit before you said or did something about it? What if you just gave it some time and space? And instead of reacting or going off, I don't think it was an accident when those two stories came out this week and knowing what my passion is, that I was spending the week in Southern California with my family. I told Amy, what a a great opportunity for me to practice kindness, patience, care. And I found myself walking up to people and smiling and engaging them in a way that they needed to be engaged to know that you are created in the image of God with automatic, high, intrinsic value. Maybe some of you would be in those moments like, I don't I can't, I can't walk away from that person. I have to walk away from that person and never return. I'm, we're not talking about walking away and never returning. Because there's a big difference. Oh, we have to see this today. There's a difference between standing for your faith and being quarrelsome. And Scripture calls us to not be quarrelsome people. We can stand for our faith. We can stand against the devil's evil schemes. But Jesus didn't clear the temple so you and I can keep pointing back to it and going, this is why I have to constantly at family gatherings yell and scream at my family members who don't think like me, look like me, act like... No, 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 no. Don't be quarrelsome. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy this, and again, a reminder coming out of the example series about... He's a young pastor. Don't have anything to do, Paul says, with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And talk about a convicting text for me. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But can we just, for a second, when I read that, I'm immediately convicted because I like to stir it up. Can you be honest and raise your hand if you enjoy stirring it up from time to time just to tick off Uncle Frank? Raise it higher than that. He just went like that. No, you're proud of it. You actually, on the way to family gatherings, think about, oh, Uncle Frank, I hope I'm sitting by Uncle Frank. I'm going to ask him, because I know he's going off on gas prices. And I'm going to lead out with, keep the oil pipeline shut down, right, just to tick him off. Right? You know that's quarrelsome. That's picking a fight. In our marriage, I'm the flight one. Fight or flight, Amy's fight, I'm flight. I like to get out of the room. I like to stir it up a little bit, but then get out of the room as quickly as possible. Because I know I can't win. Let's read it again. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You do not, you do not, when you read the Gospels, get that picture of Jesus going around picking fights. This was an intentional, deliberate moment, him cleaning house and getting us back to the true purpose of worship. And not just the true purpose of worship, but those who gather for worship, as we'll see in a second. And look at this. Not quarrelsome, but look, it must be kind to everyone, (laughs) able to teach, not resentful. And truthfully, this this is the passage, one of the passages why I'm just not on Twitter a whole bunch anymore. Because pretty much all I see my colleagues doing on Twitter these days, every now and then they'll post a verse at some but it is so quarrelsome. It is so. You read the comments, it's just a da 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 dad, And some of you are like, Ted, be in the world but not of the world. For, and I get it. Some of you need to be on Twitter. You need to share the gospel on Twitter. But for me, it just stokes the fires of my quarrelsome nature. And I know it is healthy for me to walk away and post pictures of Fish. But even that will get people worked up. Did you release it or did you eat it? Well, if it's a conservationist, I tell him, I for sure ate it. I filleted him in the parking lot, bro. <laughs> see? Do you see what? That's quarrelsome. That is not righteous anger. That is me being a jerk. And we don't have this story to turn Christians into jerks. And look at If you do want to be quarrelsome, verse 25 and 26 is going to tell us what happens if we'll just get out of the way and quit being quarrelsome. Opponents must be gently instructed with kindness in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. But how many times do I go at someone with its truth, but my approach is terrible, and am I really saying to God, hey, you sit this one out. I got it. When I'm done with them, they'll so bad want to be with you and spend time with you. Just wait. Wait your turn. Now listen. Right? No. God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they, come, they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has them taken captive to do his will. So here, I, we haven't even gotten to the why yet. We're getting to the why right now. But before we do, this is just the conviction of the Holy Spirit on me on each one of us that has that quarrelsome pick a fight, be competitive, stand up for Jesus in a smackdown kind of way. I need to care less about winning arguments and care more about winning people. And you're like, that's Dale Carnegie. No that is Jesus. And I need to care less about winning and getting my point of view across and convincing you I'm right, because we want to see people come to Jesus. And my friend Dave Adamson, he lives in Australia now, but he was in Atlanta for years. Uh, he said this, and I think it's so wonderful. If the world hates you because of Jesus, that's expected. If the world hates Jesus because of you, that's a problem. And, and Jesus told us this. Hey, the world hates you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. They hated me first. So we, that's expected. But Jesus didn't say that to us to give us a challenge See if you can get people to hate you. Get as many people to hate you as possible. No, no. If if they're hating Jesus because of you and your approach and your smackdowns, that's a major problem. And then Mark gives us a detail. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Jesus saying, My Father's house shall be a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7. But Mark adds this detail. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer, and here's the key, for all nations where all of this money trading and all of these sales all this marketplace activity was taking place in the court of the gentiles the place where all nations non-jews were to enter and they were crowded out and mark's reminding us this is for all nations and you have turned this into something it was never meant to be crowding people out but you have made it a den of robbers I want to share with you, Pastor Jonathan Parnell had great commentary on this. Jesus quoting Isaiah 56, 7 through 8. And he says, There was nothing soft and tender on display when Jesus, in Jeremiah-like fashion, pronounced a resounding judgment on Israel. According to Isaiah's vision, if you keep reading in Isaiah, eunuchs would keep God's covenant, and foreigners would join themselves to him, and the outcast would be gathered with his people. But Jesus approached the temple pulsing with buying and selling. The court of the Gentiles, the place designed for all along, for foreigners to congregate, for the nations to seek the Lord, was overrun with opportunists trying to turn a prophet. And the Jewish leaders had let this happen. This is why we take our role as leaders in the church so seriously. We have to make sure that we're a decluttered church and we don't have roadblocks that stand in the way of people finding Jesus and that we don't put unnecessary roadblocks in place. They're just our traditions and things that have built up over time and things we're doing that we haven't given enough thought to. And he says, and he ends with this, the great sadness of this scene wasn't so much the rows of product and price gouging because that's what would happen in that day. All these travelers, those would come to offer sacrifices and it was a long journey. They wouldn't bring it with, they would buy it there at the temple. So there's price gouging going on as well. They knew they had them. They needed something for sacrifice. We can charge them whatever we want. That can get us fired up. But that's not the greatest sadness. But that all of this activity left no room for Gentiles and outcasts to come to God. And here's where we get into the heart. The why. The why did Jesus turn the temple? Why did he make a, a whip of cords? Why did he drive out cattle, sheep, doves? Why did he do all of that? It's because it was keeping people from coming to him, from coming to God. And so the question I want to close with today as we talk about this, does our gathering on Sunday reflect the heart of God who gathers the outcast and socially marginalized? I was convicted again this week, and this is what the scripture should do, but I I was like, what can we do to reach more people in the hotels on the Strip in Branson? Instead of driving by with our judgmental attitudes, which we can all admit we've hit it from time to time, what are we doing as a church to create a space for them to feel welcome? Or what spaces have we created that are crowding them out? Are we doing anything that stands in the way of people coming to Jesus. And by the way, I don't I don't think this is just a Branson thing. We we can get picked on sometimes. Everywhere I go in the country and the world, there there's there's attitude between people groups and kind of a standoffishness. Greg, you travel around the world, you've seen this everywhere. I go to Tanzania and Kenya and I know the attitudes between them and then them in Uganda. I mean I see it. I was just in California this week, Southern California. And I had an event in in Irvine and an event in Bakersfield. And when I told the people in Irvine I was going to Bakersfield, almost every single person responded with, Oh, don't go there. Why would you go there? Do you have to go? Is someone making you go? This was like, and I'm like, what is the issue with Bakersfield? One guy, I landed in the plane. He goes, where are you going to go? I'm heading up to Bakersfield tonight. He goes, yeah, I'd stay here. And I I don't know what's going on. Greg's from California. He gets it better. But I'm like, man, this attitude is everywhere. Those aren't my people. Those aren't my people. And we kind of do this and push them out. You can tell why I let out with that. That's why when I'm taking this guy's cup of coffee, like I want you to know that is my slot. Your coffee's going over. You don't even get it the rest of the service, right? right? That's what was going on to me. And some of you are like, you're reading way more into that. But Luke gives us, we're just going to share one detail of Luke. And I think for those who are passionate about people coming to Jesus, that's what this question for us today. What do you get worked up over? Because I would love to see a church get, getting worked up over outsiders coming into the church. Like getting worked up. Like, yes, let's, let's everybody make space, clear room. But you go to a church like ours, like when the 10 gets too big and we start asking people, hey, could you go to 830 or 11? No! We will not go to 1130, right? It's like, what if you made space for people who don't know the Lord? This, I've been coming to this service for 10 years. Okay. Back it down a notch. I just wonder. Because Luke gives us this detail. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And I guess passion has a lot of outlets. It's not just this fiery, let's get something done. Mourning. Is an expression of passion Weeping Is an expression of passion And this week as I read news stories About A, a nation Like shaking Their fist at the Imago Day, The image of God in men and women My first response I know I can get worked up but I want my first Response to be sadness Sadness For people who are blinded for people who are caught in the devil's trap. I'm wondering if that is where we need to do more heart work and clear the clutter out in our lives, is that when we see someone that we want to really go at because they're going against our beliefs, they're going against what we stand for, there needs to be more weeping. There needs to be more mourning. And John, the disciples, after seeing all of this scene, John tells us his disciples, remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. I think there are two types of churches. And we, we don't want to become this first church where we're a church that focuses on insiders. And it's very easy to do so. I get it. I've been coming here for 20 years. We'll be 20 years old on Mother's Day. Many of you have been coming here for a lot of years. It's very easy for us on a Sunday morning to move toward the people we know, we want to engage in conversation with, and let all sorts of people we don't know just go on by. Where are the outcasts? Where are those who don't fit in? Where are the marginalized? We want them here we want diversity. We want all nations represented. All the nations that are in Branson, man, they would feel welcome here at this place. But it's easy to focus on insiders. I had a friend years ago came to me and he goes, oh, I feel judged at Woodland Hills. And I go, what? And I go, Why do you feel judged? And my friend you know, tatted up and believer in Christ, loved the Lord. And, and, and I said, have you looked around the church? There's a lot of people with more tattoos than you, and like more piercings than you. I go, but if it would make you feel more comfortable, I'll get a tattoo. Now, don't take that as the main point at the end of this message. Some of you leave here, you're, I'm 80 years old, I've gone my whole life without a tattoo. Ted wants me to get a tattoo to welcome people in to Woodland Hills. That's not. You know that's not my point. But when a church focuses on insiders, like we know things that are going on, we know where things are, but there's churches that focus on outsiders. And we've always had a heart at this church for people who are far from God. And never let the message get out from here, that we are a bunch of good people inviting bad people to come and be good. That's not at all the message. The message is we are redeemed people, sinful broken but through the blood of jesus christ saved redeemed reconciled to god our father and we go out and tell other people who need to be redeemed come to this place to meet jesus and we're going to remove every barrier and distraction to that that we can be a part of that let's prepare our hearts and environments to welcome outsiders can i give you one challenge one encouragement, because I know some of you walked in here and you walked out, but we get these messages a lot. I walk through, and our our welcome team does a phenomenal job at this church, leading and greeting and welcoming people. But it doesn't just fall on them, that it would be all of us. Now, please don't overwhelm the first person with the tattoo you see leaving here today. I want to welcome you to Woodland Hills Family <laughs> Church. Thank you for being here. That's not what we're wanting to do either. But what we want is like... Give yourself some space and time. And I know you're like, man, we dropped the kids off. We got to grab the coffee and we got to go find our seat. And and then we got to get out to the car afterwards and beat all these other people. Just maybe give a minute or two to finding someone here you don't know and you've never seen before. And go up and introduce yourself to them. More than just a, hey, we're glad you're at Woodland Hills. Where are you from? That's like the easiest, lowest barrier entry question you can ask. Where are you from? I'm from Bakersfield. We're glad you're here. And I'm sorry that Southern California rejected you, but you are welcomed at Woodland Hills Family Church. May we always be a place. Let's clear out the clutter in our hearts and in our environment. Let's clear every barrier that keeps people from finding and following Jesus. That's the heart of this church. And that it would be your heart. It would be my heart in this time. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we don't want our quarrelsome uh, attitudes and nature to keep people from you may may we not have anyone today hating the church hating you because of just a snarky post online because of a snarky comment tomorrow at at work because of something just said snippy around the table at the next family gathering may we welcome people may we make room for all those who are far from you. May we have the heart, the eyes of Jesus to see people, to see where they are and where they are not. Use us in that. Always use Woodland Hills as a place where people can come and find hope here. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus. Amen.